0: Or listening to The Running Public.
1: From marathoners to mud runners,
0: we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. It's a special day today, Bracken. That could mean a lot of things with <laughs> us.
1: Tell me, why is it a special day?
0: Well, it just feels like a special day to me. It feels like a day... That oh I don't know we're gonna get to know one another a little better and to me that's special I don't know about you but what do you do you, do you think that's special? It's extremely special.
1: Deep level male bonding is very special to me.
0: Mm. Do you get much of that? No. I used no, I to not. I used to have a couple friends that were very emotional and and they they'd suck me in it was good they I ended up being closer to them because of it.
1: As someone who enjoys speaking and hearing people speak to them, I feel like the the people I do end up spending a lot of time with, we get to this point. Mm-hmm. Ross and I on the trails. We get into real life. Mhm. So, no, I say there's probably 3 maybe 4 people in my life with like deep male bonding. The rest is all surface level.
0: Was there any um is there anything in your life that you get this like deep bonding relationship to, aside from people.
1: I don't know what you're leading me into, because <laughs> that's a very ambiguous question. But it feels like, like you're leading me towards something.
0: I don't know. Don't you feel? Are, like... Do you want me to say shoes? Do you think <laughs> I have like? Some... <laughs> no, no. I don't. You feel like, um, like your relationship with running would count. Yeah, I think I have in full relationship? relationships
1: in my life. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Let's count it five. I have my wife. Mm. I have family. Mm. I'm counting everyone I'm related to as family from my kids to my parents, aunts and uncles, cousins, brothers and sisters. I have you. I have everyone I work with professionally, and I have running. Mm. So if my world was split into five pieces, running would be one fifth of my relationships.
0: Okay. You knew I was walking you into this one a little bit. You were walking me in. I guess shoes might fit in there for you. <laughs> shoes are putter running. Well. For me. Well, I bring this up because. Um... <laughs> if
1: running were a relationship, <laughs> shoes are the sex. Ooh, that is, a, that is good. That's how I would say it. That's the physical embodiment of my love for running.
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk this up the body. What are the socks?
1: i know what that would be (laughs) no 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 no, no, kirk no i was saying that in a in a deeply seated romantic emotional connection Uh, like
0: in a love making way not in like a got it well i mean there's a shoe for every occasion has this already gotten weird (laughs) it's gotten weird well i'll tell you why i bring this up and we did chat about this a little bit before i i hit the record button but um, I'm a plagiarizer, and I will fully admit that today. Um, I listen to a number of other podcasts, and mostly are non-running related, uh, mostly are outdoors related. And uh, one of the podcasts I listen to called Wired to Hunt, which is exclusively about whitetail deer hunting, which is, it's who I am, folks, so deal with it. Uh, an episode came out recently called Whitetail, a whitetail hunter's therapy session. These two guys go back and forth about their relationship with hunting over this past season, and they talk it out and they grade their performance and start reflecting, and I found myself learning a bunch about like myself, like it made me reflect on me. and then I thought, well, what is our white-tailed deer hunting bracken? What is it? It's running.: It's, it's running, it's training. It's training, it's racing, all in one. Running. Exactly. And then I thought, I'm going to steal that idea. (laughs) I'm going to do it with Bracken. You cool with that? Couples therapy today? You, and me, and running? Yeah. A little three-way therapy session. Have you ever been to therapy, Bracken? Do you know how this goes? I have not. For two reasons. (laughs)
1: Uh, Patience and ego, I suppose. Prior to Lisa, any relationship I got into that got to the point where there was an argument or a single issue, I bailed. I just pushed the button. I ejected and that was it. And with Lisa, we had, we had probably a two year patch early in our marriage after having our first child where we should have been in therapy, Mm -hmm. but instead ego wise, I would have never admitted it at the time. And then we worked our way through it and now we're in, I don't know, probably like a six year patch of just building upward every month every year. So I haven't had to go to therapy. I should have, but I okay. didn't. So I I'm not familiar with the process. I have sat in on student therapy sessions as a okay. teacher. They're not the classic
0: that therapy session you would think of, but mm-hmm. Have you? Uh well, kind of. This is going to sound silly, but I went through like some sort of like quarter life, midlife crisis after I got done with my uh my last season of the bachelor franchise shows after my third stint. And I was dating a a woman and I was ready to pull the plug on the relationship. And I wanted to go to therapy, but I just to figure out why, but I didn't want her to be there because I thought I needed to chat myself out. So I reached out to a couple's therapist, but to go by myself Hmm. and talk to the therapist about, am I even capable of loving somebody? Was really like, is this me? Because I'm the only common denominator in my failed relationship. So we had a one-on-one conversation. I was trying to better myself and not make the same mistake over and over again. So I went to a couples therapist as a solo dude one time. First off, uh,
1: that impresses me. Really? Well, yeah. That takes a a level of of self-awareness to say, am I the common denominator? Is this me? I mean, most people are the common denominator and won't ever admit it. But second of all, did they push back against that or did they say, you know what? Come in yourself.
0: We'll take what we can get. I prefaced it in the email with, I want to come in alone. And here's my general reason why I did break up with the girl two weeks later. So, so it worked. I got, (laughs) it worked great. No, I got some clarity in that conversation, but anyways, um, that would be it. That'd be my only experience. And then I got dragged to a, a psychic once, like a couple's psychic once with the same girl before this had happened. She just thought it would be interesting. And that was a whole mess in itself. But that's um, A couple's that's psychic session. Yeah. Did you learn anything there? Uh, <laughs> the, the, the woman told me that I was in my 18th lifetime and I was the oldest person she had ever met. I walked into the door, walked into the room. And she shook my hand and she said, wow, it is an honor to meet you. And I said, wow, it's really nice to meet you too. And she goes, no, it really is an honor to meet you. And I was like, well, why? And she said, well, you've been around a very, very long time. And then my my girlfriend at the time uh, said it was in her first lifetime, and that's why we were having strife. I've been there and done that, and I have you know a tenured soul, and hers is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and that's why we weren't seeing sort of eye to eye on things. Is there some sort of psychic
1: statutory issue there then? If you were on your 18th life and she was in her first, I guess that (laughs) is that psychically viable or is that punishable in the psychic realm?
0: (laughs) Listen, I don't make the rules here. That's a good question. Maybe I will be stricken down in my 19th try and I'll come back as like a earthworm and then be like jokes be on fitting. you. Yep. Small mouth gets you. That's it. End of story. I got, this is getting weirder as we go, but that's my only two experiences bracket. And you got anything fringe you can think of?
1: I've never done tarot or a psychic or, or even classic, a classic therapy session. So this is going to be very groundbreaking for me, but also probably very needed. Mm-hmm. And Lisa, I know you listen from time to time. Please do not read into this. I am not using running to cover you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There will be no hidden meetings or innuendos or anything that that speaks to my relationship with you. This is solely with me and my other two mistresses, Kirk and running. I need you to know that.
0: This isn't going to be like symbolic in any way is what you're getting at.
1: It really is not intended to be. But we'll see where this night takes us. I'm here with an open mind and an open heart, Kirk, and I need you to know that.
0: Okay. Good. Now, if you were to picture your therapist, what do you picture your therapist looking like? Your running therapist, like you walk into the room. Well, we were talking about this. What hap- what do you imagine happens? Because I've only I have limited experience in this, so My, I feel like I have two
1: different visions. One is I walk in and I see Morgan Freeman. Oh, yeah. The second is I see Richard Diaz. And I, 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 I want it to be Morgan Freeman, but I I picture, uh, an aging, I guess not, I shouldn't be actor, but ex runner and coach who's seen it all done it all glasses, you know, kind of down at the tip of the nose, looking over the top of them at me and, and a very worldly person who's going to be patient and, and help me work my way through this. Okay. I don't want Richard there with his scotch calling me son and telling me I'm a fool. Even if mm-hmm. I am, I, w- I, wanna, I wanna be led there. Okay. What, you, what are you picturing? Cause mine were oddly specific.
0: I, well, you know, I picture like a, a small statured uh, back quarter part of their life, woman with a rounded upper back and big glasses with kind of an interesting voice. Uh, who's seen a lot, doesn't talk a lot, but when she does, she means it. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't babble like we do. She, she just asks the question in seven word sentences and sticks to her format. That's what I picture. I guess I give
1: two male examples, but I actually don't have a face. I have a personality type I picture. And this this vision, I don't know if it's male or female. I just have a a wise, aging, been there, done that, seen it all,
0: persona. All right. Well, I'll be your wise, aging, man, and you can be my short, shriveled, stooped, old female. Let's do all right. it. All right. So, where do you want to start this conversation, Bracken? And I have I have a a place I think we could start. Well, I think that's where we should begin. All right. Let's do it. So. I'm going to ask you to give yourself a letter grade looking back on your entirety or your running career as an entirety from the moment you put on your first set of running shoes and went for a run to today. F through A.
1: I don't want to start this session by being noncompliant or by overthinking things, but I do Uh want to know if you're intending running as a whole or does performance count? Like, is this a grade on my racing or just running relationship?
0: Running relationship. Yeah. And, and, and performance can factor in that. That's, that isn't that the site psychologist side of this is letting you decide which direction your mind goes to.
1: I would say my running performance is a somewhere between a B and a B minus but I would say my running relationship is somewhere between a C and a C minus. Lifetime. I think I have outperformed my relationship, but I've underserved my performance and how I treat her. It's a her. Yeah. As a hetero male, I can only think of my partner as a female, which I understand is my lens and I'm going to stick to
0: it. Yep. That's okay. You are who you are. So why? So if you had to break that down a little bit, like why would you say, that your relationship with running as a whole is a C. Like what, what was missing or has been missing to bring that to an A over the years? You to think about it.
1: I don't think it's difficult for me. I think it's consistency and commitment. I tend mm. to commit to her when there's something exciting on the horizon that I want to do. Mm. I, I commit to running when pressed to do so. And I can be really great to running When there's Mm -hmm. something on the horizon, when there's a goal that benefits me, but I certainly come from it, come to this relationship from a selfish, what is about to happen for me and what it's either preventative or restorative or, or last minute. I, I don't spend day in and day out historically
0: cultivating this relationship. Okay. And, and I truly mean that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I know you do. We've had plenty of talks about this, I think over the years. So, all right. And if you had to be more specific in how you could change that with examples, like times in the past, what would you change? I don't know if my
1: relationship with running ever truly has moved beyond like our first few dates. My first few times running, truly running, were races, and then committing to training afterwards to do better. And then only training, you know, going back to seventh, sixth, seventh grade, only training when the race got close. And it was pulling teeth to get me to train in the off season or to prepare. But I get really fired up as soon as the season got there. And I don't know if for all of my years that have followed, if I've truly ever moved beyond that mentality. Spurts, sure. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I've ever... Like, put my boots on the ground and changed fundamentally who I am in this relationship.
0: So, you see the next shiny, beautiful, running opportunity, and then you recommit to investing in that relationship until that light dulls. And then you let it go slightly for a while until the next bright, shiny, running relationship is on the horizon, and then you reinvest at a good level until that fire burns out, rinse and repeat? I think when it boils down to it, yeah. Hmm. But I know that's unfair because that inherently
1: makes running a... a nag, a a hindrance upon me knowing it's at the back of my mind you know you should be running today you know you should be training more specifically you should be getting more volume you should be progressing a bit more and choosing to to shy away from that puts running in the the position of being the the person with having to bring a negative component to the table and Mm -hmm. then when i finally do return to the relationship and say all right it's time to roll it's never as easy or pleasant as i'd hope and then there's a bit of resentment there
0: Mm, This is getting good. So I'm going to follow this through and say, well, if running is a relationship, that means this is two-sided, correct? So if this is your investment in running, turn that around. Like what has running given and invested to you? Running has given me at minimum
1: everything I've put into it, it's given back, Mm. if not more. Because as I ranked my performance higher than my commitment, I'm getting more out than I'm putting in oftentimes. The fact Mm. that I have a podcast and a career and met my wife through a track meet, anytime I pour any amount of of effort and intentionality into that relationship, I'm rewarded for it. Mm. But I mean, that begs the question, A, do I really deserve it? And B where would i where would we be right now had i attended to it day in day out for two decades rather than sporadically when it suited my mood
0: well you still have a relationship we do but it is notably different the last few years maybe your relationship with running is like the mundane the laundry doing dinner making kids sick days and then your racing is like the date night on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Tuesday day dates. Tuesday day dates, right? Where mm-hmm. where then suddenly, you know, there's there's a reason to be more invested at that particular time. And sometimes that can reignite for a while, right? And then and then life happens and stuff gets in the way and then you settle back into the mundane, fall a little apathetic at times until that next date comes around. You're like, oh yeah, that's why I like this woman that is called running. That is why I do what I do. And then it starts to cycle all over again.
1: But my concern then is what does that say about me and running? If I need the the fancy romantic dates to be invested, if you took away that, are we great matches? Of course you are if you took away the romance and the physicality, are we best friends
0: still? I don't know anybody that doesn't fall in and out of love with running at times. At different frequencies and cadences and lengths. But even myself, like, putting on those shoes can be absolutely dreadful. And sometimes I can't wait to get those things on because I know I need it that day. So I would say that that's pretty typical. Wouldn't that be indicative of, like, a relationship that's, like, perfect? Like, that doesn't exist. So... Well why I've never
1: strove for typical anywhere. I certainly don't want to settle for that in a relationship. I wouldn't marry a typical woman. I married the most incredible person I could ever find. Why would I why would I settle for typical and running? And yet I'm the one causing it to be typical. Hmm. I consider myself a high flyer, Kirk.
0: You are a high flyer.
1: And yet we're using the word typical here.
0: I was using the word typical. You weren't wrong. Hmm. Well, we can always find cracks in the foundation if we look for them, right? That's what therapy's about. How much am I getting paid per hour for this? We'll, we'll figure it out afterwards. Okay. We'll see where we get today. Okay, yeah, we'll see. Where, we'll see if we have any epiphanies. Well, let's move on because I, I'm not at a dead end there, but I want to move to the second part of that answer, and we can bring it all together, of course, afterwards. But uh, you gave your racing career a higher grade than like the laundry doing sick kid day normalcy of the day-to-day running. So like, talk about that a little bit more. Like you're, you've outperformed your investment, I think is what you said.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't want to over glamorize what I've done. I I gave it a B, B minus to me. That means I'm, I've outperformed the vast majority of the everyday runner, but you still have that whole tier of B plus, A minus, A, A plus above you. But it's ahead of my my relationship with running because I've been relatively successful with a relatively typical mediocre commitment. I think I'm a responder to training, not I think, I know. Mm-hmm. And so I've been kind of rewarded by being able to fudge it and cram and hit it in spurts. So I think that that speaks to some success racing and performance-wise, but it certainly isn't a uh, hang-it-and-canton career.
0: So that's where the Hall of Fame is, I believe, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Correct. Um, okay, so what are you basing that on? though? What are your criteria? As in, like you said, there are B-pluses and A-minuses and A's out there. What what would that look like? Because obviously you're basing that maybe on either one, you know your capabilities and you know what an A would look like for you and you're a B or a B minus, or based on the fact that you aren't top of your sport at the moment.
1: I think it's both. If I've clearly never committed to years of uninterrupted focus, I've never touched my ceiling, so I know that that can't be an A effort. And then at every level I've ever competed, middle school I won – our our little conference championship, and then at the Badger State Games and the Junior Olympics, never did better than third or fourth. Mm. High school, I won a couple conference championships on the track, not in cross country, and never qualified individually for state. came up short. In college, I, w- <laughs> I think you could debate how I got my scholarship, but took a D1 scholarship and washed out after a year. Went D3. Had a runner-up at conference, a third place, a fourth place, a fifth place at conference. Won a conference championship in a relay. Got an All-American as a relay, but never won an individual conference title and never qualified individually to nationals. Post-collegiately found this crazy OCR thing in trail running and won all my local stuff. Numerous second and third places at a national level, but never won a national series race second and third was my consistent podium spot if i made the podium uh, won one national title at a spartan race they put on a sprint a super and a beast championship one year i won the super and no one cared because it wasn't really a thing mm. went to worlds that year and and bombed so i took third and one world championship where it was the weakest field we've ever seen and have never made a podium since so i've like across the board I've always been up near the top performance-wise, but with a significant gap between myself and the actual best. And my own ceiling-wise, I know I haven't been consistent enough to reach it. So it's been successful, but not nearly what I think someone would expect out of a true A career.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you are making a career revolved around the sport, so we can talk about the ancillary pieces there mm-hmm. obviously there's a good relation there's there's an a relationship in here in some angle that we could play but let's bridge the gap then so let's bridge the gap um between ac and ab the two relationships you graded separately if xy and z changed with c what would that do to b so to speak because obviously it's the it's the day to day um, the things that are done in the dark that are seen in the light, the small little baby steps that m- help you climb mountains, right, so to speak, to be metaphorical. So what would need to be better about the C grade to improve the B grade?
1: I talked how my relationship with running hasn't probably moved past our honeymoon stage. And I don't know if my relationship to training and commitment ever did either. I've I used to... Take pride in an ironic sort of way at being the the person who per who if they if there was a podium if there was a conference championship, I always said I, I did the least amount of volume of anyone here mm-hmm. I was always i'd like to hang my hat on that in college. I always thought I am the the heaviest runner at my times in the nation, or I have the highest bench press of any runner running my times in the nation i always And I don't know if that was true pride or if it was my way of kind of, you know, self-medicating and ignoring the fact that I wasn't doing the real things necessary. But I always took false, fake, humorous pride in doing less or different than everyone else who was successful around me. Mm -hmm. And I think at some point it became my MO and I didn't ever really consider doing the most of anyone around me. Or even the medium of everyone around me. It was always, I did this despite running less than any other person in this race. And I think that that is now deeply seated inside me, in my psyche.
0: That makes sense to me. Because a part of me is the same way. Um, But I will then reflect back and say, um, looking at your stint when you lived in Colorado, Mm -hmm. that would have been not the case at the time. It was the one time in which... You were folding the laundry because you knew your wife was busy. You had kids on both hips. And you were making dinner and doing all the little things, leaving sweet notes. When you went out for your run, you're investing in the relationship you're most. This is all metaphorical, again, for running or symbolic. And that That is... Lisa Lisa (laughs) will know I was not doing laundry out there. (laughs) This could get cloudy, I suppose. I don't know what I'm doing over here. So... Um, not not a therapist, but then let's look. How would you grade your racing career in the time in which you weren't describing? You know, you you mentioned on our last podcast episode you were running seventy miles a week with twelve thousand plus feet of vert a week. You were training like a true professional. And um, if I think back to the Spartan Rewinds, you were one of the stars on every single episode because you were podium contending. So let's just take a quick snapshot back then. What would you grade your training in Colorado or your relationship with running and then your performances? Would it be the same or would it be different?
1: Oh, it'd certainly be different. Mm -hmm. Now, I should clarify that I didn't average 70 a week. I ran 50 to 70. Still. Bigger 20,000 feet plus of vert was usually closer to 50 mile weeks and 70 mile weeks were closer to the 10 to 12. Mm -hmm. It wasn't always that. But I would say my training, you know, in terms of hours, being up over 10, 12 aerobic hours every week, my commitment to long runs and working my climbing and descending, it's at worst an A-minus out there.
0: From what I've been told, I agree.
1: But I think there's always the but with me, that when we were off, me and running, off in this exotic land, away from our family, I didn't work a real job at the time, When everything was set up to do well, we were great with each other. Mm -hmm. And for two and a half years, almost three, we were like living in bliss. And then the moment we came back to the real world, I wasn't able to keep that same level of, it almost felt like artificial passion. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the racing out there was great. I think that I, I was at a point there where I just knew that whatever happened around me, I was going to, I was going to race well. People Mm. might beat me. They might not, but it wasn't going to be because I screwed something up. They were either going to have a great day or be more talented than me, but that was it. Mm. I'd go into races and think I've put in the work. I could look back on my log and I would just say, listen, there are probably three or four people here all capable of beating me, but they can't all do it on the same day because they haven't been as consistent as I have. And if they have and they're better than me, then good on them. But I, the, the the relationship was so strong at that point that I didn't have to question anything. And I don't know if, if that survived back in the real world ever.
0: So what grade would you give yourself for your racing during that time?
1: A solid A. I had a plus races. I, I had a lot of, those are my highest reaching races where I just put myself up into it, trusted the process and, 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 wrecked myself in order to stay up there that that was but it was symbiotic my training led to my racing
0: well right there was no guesswork right so there's a a correlation of cause there right they they parallel each other so at your pinnacle you know what an a relationship with running and an a relationship with racing looks like yeah in a circumstance i understand but life is circumstantial
1: well, I think that this, we're getting to the true crux of my adult relationship with running.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's get there.
1: That was my absolute best graded running relationship, and I don't think it's even close. And that, non-coincidentally, uncoincidentally? I know what you're going to say here. You don't want me to- My absolute lowest relationship with Lisa.
0: hmm
1: I was the worst husband I've ever been when we were out there. And I was aware of the dichotomy there. And I don't know if it was causation or correlation, but it didn't matter to me. Mm. We didn't start fixing ourselves until the last month of Colorado. And when we came back, I told her that never again would I prioritize running over her. And even if I hadn't out there, even if I hadn't prioritized it, I was better at running than I was at Mm -hmm. our relationship. And I never built up the skills afterwards. I decided to avoid it and avoid it and avoid it going all in on it. And eventually I kind of became gun shy. It became an excuse. And then it was just my reality that when push comes to shove, I would turn away from that and prioritize life. And eventually push and shove didn't have to arrive. It was an excuse to not go out.
0: Well, one could argue that your prioritization shift is noble at the end of all of that saying like, if it were real, well, you decided or made a conscious effort um, to acknowledge that your relationship with your wife was more important than your relationship to running. And you only have so much importance to give priority to give, right? Your I call it your bucket of fucks, right? Like if your bucket of, Fucks is full. You have no more fucks to give, right? We'll get the explicit sign on this episode now. So if all if your bucket is full of your fucks for running and racing, your bucket's full. Like you just you just tapped out. You got no more f's to give towards anything else in your life, or very little, right? So like opening up some room in that bucket for something else would be like a your wife would be maybe a noble, noble and admirable. Thing to do correct because everybody's bucket has a limit sure some people's buckets are bigger than others but like we only have so many f's to give i feel weird saying the word f fuck so many times but you get what i'm saying here right so i do so, so you're so not we, wrong correct but what i want to know because i think this will be helpful is i want a few examples of your uh, prioritization mishaps when you were when you were more when you were investing more in running like how did that come through and that that is
1: that is where we find the issue i believe is that when you tell someone a race excuse or a job excuse or a homework excuse whatever it is deep down you know if it's true or not Mm -hmm. or how true it is and this is one of those when i look deep down i know that a part of that was needed but i applied it as a blanket statement and it covered up a lot of my own issues. Like my commitment to running, I could sweep under the rug of I'm going to be a better husband. Mm-hmm. So for example, in Colorado I got in a habit of trying to live a professional lifestyle, sleep in till eight, nine o'clock, wake up, go for my run, be gone 90 minutes to two hours, come home, eat immediately, shower, play with the kids for a little bit and then she'd be ready to go out and do something as a family and i'd be trashed and i'd want to lay down and rest for a bit or play video games or nap and then i'd want to get a p.m session in and it there was always that little bit of hostility that existed between the two of us where i wasn't upholding my fatherly and husbandly duties Mm -hmm. and i felt a little bit betrayed that I couldn't go and do the thing I needed to do to support the family without some resentment at home. Mm -hmm. But deep down, I knew that if I start my day two hours earlier, none of that is an issue. And so I think that followed me afterwards when those mornings hit and I hit snooze on my alarm or I had an opportunity to squeeze something in and I didn't. And then later in the day I'd say, well, (laughs) I'm committing to be a good parent. I still do that. I'm committing to be a good husband. I'm going to spend time with them and I'm not getting my workout in. And it's a noble flag to fly, but it it doesn't change the fact that I had, if I wanted to, an open slot that wouldn't have compromised that other end. Mm. And I chose to avoid that. So then I was forced to take the noble route later, which I shouldn't have had to choose either way. And I think that's been the theme over the years is there wasn't that pressing desire to get it done first and foremost so that the rest of the life could happen. Because there, I certainly have it easy enough in my life that I have
0: time for both. Well, right. And and the the nuance with this conversation is that the sole focus is the relationship with running, right? We can get, we can distract ourselves with the relationships around running that aren't running, correct? Yeah. But it comes down to the relationship with running that we're talking about. Um, So then the next question that comes to mind for me is, is it even possible or is it possible in life as you know it today, with prioritizing numerous things of equal priority or more going to something other than running, but is it possible uh, in today's world with three kids and your wife and your podcast and your coaching business and your own athletic aspirations, do you think it's achievable in its own version at this point in your life? And if so, what would it look like? It's absolutely achievable. I agree. And
1: and I think I'm going to say something now. Not I think. I'm going to say something now I don't know if I've ever said out loud. I think that the biggest reason I never fully committed to doing the most out of everyone is because if that's not enough, what a waste. What do you mean? If I ran... 80-mile weeks, 90-mile weeks, 100-mile weeks, did all my lifting, did all my ancillary piece, and I still couldn't crack a podium or still wasn't good at altitude, mm. then I'm totally and utterly exposed. Where if I did 50-mile weeks and was known as, well, he's a shorter-distance guy. He's not a long-distance guy. That There's the built-in excuse. There's the built-in safety net. And I might be able to pop it either way. Mm-hmm. But if I go for it and I leave no stone unturned, like I've talked about doing in the past, there's no safety net. There's just a, well, you got to face it. You tried to be a distance runner and you weren't good enough, and and that shouldn't bother me. But I think that early on there was some piece of that that I've never really outgrown.
0: Mm-hmm. I've
1: never decided to do the most.
0: I'm pretending I'm an expert here, which I'm again going to say I am not. But that is very flawed thinking, right? As you're acknowledging, Mm -hmm. very flawed thinking. I mean, that's where your mind goes. But to the flip side of the coin, you know, the people's opinions or your own perspective of yourself would be like, well, like, he's choosing or I'm choosing not to do enough. So, like, that is, you know, more cowardly than doing it all and failing, Right? Like, for sure. Right? So there's like that other flip side of the coin. And it's the correct side of the coin. Well, they're both potentially uh, correct. As much as people want
1: to say they want to go to the grave with no what ifs, as much as I'll say that at times, what ifs are immensely satisfying. What ifs are very comforting because there's still hope in there. That maybe I was screwed over. Maybe I never got my shot. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe I could have. People get energy off complaining about things. People get energy. It sustains them always having that boss that they don't like. They never have to to, to address the fact that maybe it's them. And what ifs are that as well. And I think I have a bit of that where a what if is maybe a safer mental space to be in than I wasn't good enough. Mm. And I don't know if I even truly believe that about myself. I'm pretty sure I can handle it. I get what you're saying though. I think I've fallen
0: into that pattern at times in my
1: relationship.
0: That makes a lot of sense to me. That that course of it thinking. It feels shameful. Yeah, but I understand how one would fall into that. It's um it's honest. I think the hard part I have with this particular conversation with you is you are being vulnerable and noble with your relationship in regards to running. You're being truthful. However, you know, you can't account for um, necessarily the rug being pulled out from underneath you at times. Like there's always trials and tribulations in any relationship and speed bumps, correct? Regardless as to your enthusiasm for it. Let's say running as a proverbial wife gets a a temporary contract in another city and you're apart except for every other weekend or these things that are out of your control that all of a sudden impact your relationship that really are out of your control in a certain sense right Mm -hmm. and then your relationship with your hypothetical partner suffers for let's that's my uh, one example so then we talk about 2016 uh, rolled ankle when you were in your prime, or fifteen, which year was that? Montana, you hurt yourself. You broken still raised, toe, yeah. broken toe, and then training and trying to train through torn meniscus for year, two years, who knows how long, mm-hmm. before succumbing to the fact that this just isn't working. This relationship, as I know it, is not working. It's not sustainable, and so you choose to get surgery, which is like a whole nother dagger, right? The rug. So Mm -hmm. you're being noble with your ownership over this. However, like we need to factor in some things that were out of your control and maybe having it stripped away from you for a little while and not realizing that even if you wanted to, you couldn't be that person who runs their 80 mile weeks and does their pre and rehab and does all the little things. It wasn't actually on the table for you because it wasn't, the relationship didn't look like that at the time. Maybe it's, a, it's an important, you know, usually what happens after a fight with your partner, running or otherwise. So you usually come to a come out on the other side somehow better for it, right? Mm-hmm. Somehow with perspective you didn't have before the, the fight, right? So is there any of that going on with you, my long-winded way of getting at that? Is that in there somewhere or could it be? Well, certainly. Okay. Have you thought about it like that? Of course I have.
1: And, and I took comfort in that. For a while. But again, I feel like deep down we know. And mm-hmm. those kind of things, your wife going out of town for a weekend, running disappears for a weekend, or she gets injured, or whatever, those little things, if they're the only thing, if everything else is built up around it, done well, you manage it much better than if that was the thing holding you together. Mm-hmm. And and I I can be pretty honest with myself in saying that I never treated her the way she deserved it day in and day out, little moment after little moment, so that when a big moment appeared, like there wasn't the, the foundation it needed. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, a lot of those things happened. I had two knee surgeries. I broke a toe, which led to Achilles issues, in calf, yeah. and hamstring, and all of that.
0: You went to Breckenridge with bronchitis or pneumonia or the flu that year when you were supposed to perform well. I remember that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Those things are all unfortunate. But. They would be isolated incidents if all the little pieces were taken care of day in and day out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean the Colorado thing came to an end. If 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 my life as a runner and our relationship—if we divorced tomorrow—that would have been my peak. Mm-hmm. My peak came to an end earlier than it should have because of some nonsense. And looking back, could I have handled it in different ways to maybe negate some of it? Yeah. But the knee stuff was coming either way. I think I had more podiums to get back at that time, but like sh- maybe my peak was shortened. Okay. But it doesn't change the fact that the fall was coming because of me. Like, there was nothing to fall back on. hmm And I know that. So, I don't believe... Like, I have... I've, I think as long as divorce isn't on the table... It can't happen. Okay. If you say no matter what, it's not happening, then you can drag on for years. (laughs) I don't want to drag on for years, but running's not leaving. And so in my mind the peak isn't in the past, it's still coming. But how many times can you say that before you have to face the fact that maybe you really just don't want another peak? And that's what I worry about right now is do I really want Mm -hmm. to put in the time for the relationship? Or am I just afraid of going all in and it
0: doesn't love me back? Um, you walked me right into my next line of questioning. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to apologize ahead of time for the amount of profanity I'm going to use here because it's the bucket reference. And I want to go back to the bucket. Okay. And I know we've gotten okay. messages about profanity on here. And, sir, I'm sorry if your kid's in the car with you listening, maybe just listen to this part on your, on your own. Okay. Um, let's go back to our bucket of fucks. All right. Now let's talk about, I'm just going to, I am going to give you like three, three contents to fill these buckets. Okay. This is just my, this is what I am deciding is going in your bucket. Okay. And you have your running and performing, but, um, you know, bit, you have your relationship with your wife and your children as a family guy. And then you have your, whatever, other things, all other things in life. And we go back to our bucket of fucks, right? Like what percentage is Let's go back to Colorado first. We're looking at the bucket. We have three things that we're putting in there. What percentage is running? What percentage is relationships and what percentage is the ancillary pieces? say so running was 50%. Okay. Ancillary was 40. Okay. Relationships
1: were 10. Okay. Now, can I can I make a caveat with that? Mhm. I think of that 50% of running, 30% was necessary. Okay. The other 20 were fabricated as time fillers and to avoid putting time into the other areas. Okay.
0: And then let's fast forward to today. Mm -hmm. Okay. And again, I'm leaving your career out of this, Okay. right? Which I know fills that bucket quite a bit. And let's, let's talk, you know what, let's throw the ancillary out now in this new bucket and let's fill it with running, coaching, career, relationships, and then your personal relationship with running. Here's your bucket of fucks. You have your three things that are putting in it. What percentage would be of all three right now? You were at 50, 40, and 10 before. I think I'm
1: still at 50, 40,
0: 10. Okay. But it's relationships, career, and then running. 50% relationships, 40% career, 10% ten percent running.
1: Yeah, in that 50-40, there's probably some wiggle room there, but I'm pretty firm on that 10.
0: Right, and the reason I didn't use career when you were in Colorado is because running was your career. Yep. So it would have been a mute point, right? All right, and now the hardest question of them all, if we're going to achieve an A grade in your relationship with running, racing aside, if it were possible... Where would you put the three contents percentage-wise in order to sustain? Would it be possible to, as you said in Colorado, really 30% of your 50% was fabricated? As in, what, you were cranky after workouts and tired. You maybe weren't as enthusiastic about day trips to the park with your kids. Maybe you fell asleep on your wife when she wanted to stay up all night. Those sort of things. Like, Mm -hmm. what, what part could make it work? What do you think? How would that look? If we're looking at percentage, I think it's It's tough. 40, 40, 20. Okay. And I would assume 40% um, relationship, 40% career, and then you double your investment in running by making it 20%.
1: Yeah. But I think that the importance here is that I'm talking time right now. Oh. If I'm talking actual emphasis, it's different, but I don't know how it would be. But I think that you can fit a different emphasis on relationship in 40% of the time versus on career in 40% of the time. Mm-hmm. Because of that 40% of my career focus, maybe half of that has to be intense. Right. The rest is mindless busy work. But if you put 40% of your time into relationships and they're all quality That's a huge amount. Yes. And I don't think running has to take up very much time. We were talking earlier time. What do we say? Six to eight hours for the average person, eight to 10 for a high end athlete. When you start adding in strength work, is that much more than 20% of your week?
0: If you can separate, if you can compartmentalize the mind and the body, that's the big thing because the physical time as you said, spent, let's say eight, let's say eight, let's say 10 hours for you total training a week would be your 20%, right? You committed to 10 hours a week, which would be, let's equate that to 20%, which you said might be necessary to achieve an A-level with your relationship with running. Mm -hmm. The problem here is what I assume, um, I don't think a therapist should say assume. That's my first mistake. I don't think therapists probably say assume, but It's all the shit and baggage and fucks that go in the bucket that come along with it. The tired and cranky, the money spent on physical therapy potentially, the less enthusiasm you have with your kids that day because you just beat up and want to take a nap. It's like those things. It's like if you could somehow emotionally or cerebrally – check it be like almost a machine that way right it'd be very feasible it'd be like i'm a robot i go do my training i get done the body does what it is told and it will do what it is told on race day and wipe your hands of it but we're emotional beings and that's the tricky part what it carries outside of the time you're doing it because it's perfectly acceptable for somebody to go work a nine to five job be away and not investing in their family uh or their relationship with running or anything for eight hours a day plus commutes let's make it nine or ten and that's perfectly acceptable, right? But yet, in a situation in which your relationship is running bleeds into other things, let's say including work or your relationship, then it's like not acceptable, I feel like. Or it's it's less acceptable. But So it's easy to be hard on yourself in this case, but you also live in a non-traditional, I would consider, life. I think it's the downside of
1: if there is a downside, the downside of the life I live is that there are no boundaries anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a boundary-free zone. Yeah, you know, my workspace is my home space is my training space, and they can bleed into one another.
0: Yep. Yeah. So then the 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 last question in this line of questioning, and then I think just seeing how deep rooted your issues are, I'm going to need you to sign up for a ten ten hour package. We'll have to continue these conversations further, (laughs) you know, I'll give you a discounted rate for bulk here, but, um, is, so as we're chatting this out, you must be thinking to the future, we have an upcoming season happening. Mm -hmm. So I think the number one most important trait a person can have is self awareness. And I believe that through and through, I think if you are a self aware person that, it will, you will find a way in many avenues of your life, you will navigate the rocks in your ship appropriately because you have enough self-awareness to at least understand your strengths, weaknesses, flaws, characteristics, and pivot appropriately, right? And you are very self-aware. Like I would say you're one of the more self-aware people I know, maybe the most self-aware person I know, which is a huge compliment by the way. And all of this conversation stems around self-awareness, does it not? Yes, and vulnerability, right? So, being as self-aware as you are, and I mean that as a very big compliment, what does such a self-aware guy do? Like moving forward into a racing season, does he? Does do you know yet? I know two things.
1: First is that I need to set boundaries in my relationship, and not all negative. Some boundaries need to be expanded. You know, have a little bit less strict boundaries in some areas. Expand the boundaries in some areas, tighten them in others, and find as many areas for them to overlap as possible, which sounds weird with boundaries. But these are, lo- these are fluid boundaries, you know? Yeah, so for example, you talk about the big workouts that leave me not wanting to be a dad afterwards, mm-hmm. which is a real thing. And I know other people experience it because I, because we get messages about this, but you advocate swinging the hammer hard, but what if you don't want to get up off the couch the rest of the day? Mm-hmm. You know, there are ways I can get around that, you know, knowing which day of the week we generally spend our most time with, you know, on the couch with the kids watching a movie at night or Saturday night sleepover finagling my long efforts so that the finish of those aligns with already programmed downtime with the kids. And that the days that I would need to be more active align with easier days. I think rearranging, and maybe the wrong word is boundaries and the right word is scheduling. They're probably intertwined. One of the beauties of my life is that I have an extremely fluid schedule. But maybe the the counter to that is that it's too fluid for my own good at times. So I know that the boundaries and scheduling need to change. But the the one thing, I feel like I'll take advantage. I'll take the the blame for most of my relationship with running being weird, but the one thing that's been somewhat outside of my control is the way that I'm wired is to simply be competitive. Mm-hmm. I'm a competitor, and I cannot change that. And I don't have control over the venues of which competition is promoted. And I could choose to do other things, but my entire life it was dictated to me where running and I needed to go. mm mm-hmm. It was cross country and then it was track for four years in a row and then for four more. And then after that, it was running OCR and it was big money. It was the Navy federal races and then worlds. And then they started a national series and it was national series and worlds. And they started paying out with a stadium series. So a stadium series and national series and worlds. And it's one of those where I, sp- I spent all my time with running, worrying about getting ready for the race that someone else required us to do or highly encouraged us to do. And I never really, really got around to figuring out exactly post-collegiately who I was and wanted to be as a runner. And so to that end for this year, I've talked about wanting to find that out, doing a race of every distance in the first half of the year and just figuring out, what do I like? What am I good at? Because this will be the first year that I'm healthy and contract-free.
0: Stadium races never provided that for you?
1: This is going to sound weird. Stadium races were some of my least enjoyable races. Continue. They're so miserable. I'm good enough at them. And this this might sound arrogant, but I'm good enough at them that win, lose, or draw, fitness-wise and performance-wise, I'm in the mix. Always. Which makes it your most painful race. Yep. I'm either winning and miserable because it hurts so bad and spending the whole time trying not to screw it up. Or I'm losing and hurting so bad and hanging on trying to get back into it or in the mix trying to stay in the mix as long as possible to make a move and win it they're miserable races for me stadium races I equate the feeling of winning with a weight off my shoulders crossing the finish line yeah. I can't say outside of this last one I ran at City Field in fall that I've ever had fun during a race
0: do you want to know what I think though? no I think you don't want to know what I think <laughs> I think no <laughs> I- I think that any time that you reach some sort of pinnacle in a sport or an event, that pressure is put upon you. Let's say that you fell in love with Ultras and you go out and win your next 350Ks and there are a lot of eyes on these. There's a definite chance that that turns out feeling the same way. Maybe, eventually.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: That feeling of relief when it's over is... Like one of the, the least enjoyable benefits of being number one, is that pressure is heavy, and then it becomes a relief to cross the finish line first. More than a a joy, the first win, of course, is all elation. There's no relief; it's pure joy. And maybe the second, but you in stadiums, were the stadium king, and there's only one place to go, there, and Mm -hmm. it's stay put or, or crumble right or be taken down. So it's, in a lot of athletes' eyes, a lose-lose situation. Well, if I win, well, then I'm doing what's expected of me, and now it's not even a big deal anymore. And if I lose, well, then the world comes crashing down. So it's a very tough position to be in. I was um, a big fish in a small pond in Green Bay growing up in track and field, and I didn't lose a race until sectionals. I didn't lose a single race all year. I ran like 24 races and was undefeated, and every race was showing up scared to death, even though I was the one who would win it. And the first time I raced and I wasn't scared to death was sectionals when I wasn't the heavy favorite and state when I certainly wasn't, it was a, it was an, a weird phenomenon. So point being is mm-hmm. that also comes with the territory of being a winner. It has to. Yeah. Don't you think and m- m- maybe not, but for most.
1: And I've been a victim of that, not a victim, but that's, that's my MO. I, I function way best as, as the the underdog. Mm-hmm. Um, I, heavy as the crown is true some people thrive off it others yeah. it weighs on you but anyway the last one i did was exciting and i loved it and i love tennessee mile and i love this state but you felt counted out
0: thing. you felt counted out not counted out but you know pete rumbles were in the making of bracken crock there were no expectations exactly and so that's
1: this year it's it, i know what i need to do schedule wise and boundary wise but running wise it feels like who knows what we even like anymore? Mm-hmm. Like, we haven't dated in so long. I don't know what she's into. I don't know what I'm into. I know what I thought, what we used to be, but like, I don't know what kind of concert we should go see. I, like, w- We have this all-expensive paid trip to go wherever we want. And I don't know where to take her.
0: Yeah, It's like that when you, you marry your high school. Listen, again, I have no personal experience with this. Uh, you marry your, your high school sweetheart and you and you go through the next phases of life together, college, first career kids and you realize that uh through the years like you know you guys were just you were married off of lust and love and newness and excitement and you were still developing really who you were as like a human or your relation and then you realize your relationship to that other person like you've drifted and you realize you're you're different than one another and the same thing can happen with and then maybe the relationship crumbles or you work on it and get back on the same page right but like mm-hmm. I feel like that can very much go for like the life of a relationship to running as a runner. I just feel like that is going to ebb and flow and, and the running you fell in love with initially, how vastly different does it look than the the running that you potentially love today? They're not even in the same planet, I would assume. No. So you have to morph with the times as well. And that's the tricky part. You know, too much now, you know, too much now.
1: Yeah, and it almost leads to knowing nothing. Mm -hmm. I feel like running and I met young. You know, shotgun wedding, had kids young, and now the kids just went off to college. I feel like we're empty nesters, but we're young empty nesters, not like looking at retirement. We're we're still young. We're in our prime, and we don't know what to do with ourselves. Mm. And that can be as bad as, as anything. Yeah. I feel like we have to rediscover
0: exactly
1: who we are to each other. Yeah, but it has to be intentional, doesn't it?
0: It does. You put my thoughts together nicely there. I think then, and the last thing I wanted to get to with this, I'll probably keep saying that because more shit will pop in my head. But, um, is like, do you want to improve your relationship with running and put more fucks in that bucket, or do you not? Like all of it is. So we've we've decided what it might take in order for your grade and performance to improve, but um, priorities do shift. Do you want it? Do you know? Do you have an answer to that? Well, for the first time ever, truly the concept of divorce
1: creeped up. Mm. Not, not today, but I thought, what if I ju- and not because I wanted to, but just mm-hmm. entertained it. What if I actually did just want to be done? And it was not an enticing thought. Mm-hmm. I thought that's the beginning of the end. Well, that would be the end. I mean, of of me. Hmm. Then I find something new. I, I don't want something new. I want to do new things with my running, but I don't want to be away from running.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's it's not just because it's all I know. Because it's not. It's it's what I want to know. So yeah, no, I don't think that the being done is is an option. Okay. So yes, I do want to explore. I I have this idea in my mind. Like you have this 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 sometimes unrealistic idea of your partner, what you want from them. Mm-hmm. But I have this just this, this vision of just running fast and aggressively in a race. Just running fast. And that's it. It's a really simple want at this point. There's just, there hasn't been a race that I've been in in several years where I just felt fast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's been trying to hang on to a pace that's untenable, it's been trying to do an event that I'm not strong enough for or not fast enough or don't have enough endurance. It's just trying to hold myself together from falling apart rather than just running fast and feeling fast. That's all I want out of running right now. I just want to get back to feeling fast again mm-hmm. and then then go from there. Get that feeling back and then go from there. That's what I want from her. When was the last time you had that feeling? You know, actually, I felt I felt fast. Running downhill at the Tennessee mile for a while. Yeah. That's also relative because n- not many people were bombing. But the last time I was in a, a big race and felt fast, oh <sighs> my goodness, I don't know. I felt fast in a, a road mile a couple of years ago. I mm-hmm. felt fast at City Field at times, mm-hmm. but those are years. I haven't felt fast in a long time. Isn't that why we start as kids anyway? It's just fun to
0: sprint around the backyard and run fast. I want to get back to that. Exhilaration of the wind flowing through your hair.
1: Yeah. And not fast because you're pumping and sprinting and trying to be fast. Fast
0: just because you're fast. Yeah. Speed comes easy. Mm-hmm. Well, is that selfish? Is that too much to ask out of a out of running? Well, it's not just going to give it to you. You're going to have to work for it. You have to work at it just like a re- any other relationship, right? You're going to have to invest in it. That's how it works. But... I don't want the listeners here to be confused as we talk about these grading systems and one's happiness with their relationship because some C students are perfectly happy with that because they're focusing on their athletics and they just need C's get degrees and they have a great social life. Let's, you know, and, and they're very happy with C's because that gets them through. So their satisfaction with their experience getting C's is, pro, is astounding they're super happy their life is great you know they're riding on highs all the time but they're getting c's so it doesn't mean that like I, i'm just clarifying like my assumption is it doesn't mean you're not happy because your training is at a c it's just if we're going to grade that particular relationship this doesn't reflect on your like mood towards life this is just more of a dissection of this particular angle right i just feel like like your grade could be a C because you're choosing for it to be. It's not the best you could do because we know it's not. It's the choice you've made, right? This mm-hmm. isn't like a poor me, I'm a C. It's like a no, I'm a C because that's that's the life I've lived up to this point and I've earned that C and I'm happy with it because my bucket is full of other things right now, right? So I just want to like get that across like with this conversation, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and mine was a uh... – a two decade grade. There are a lot of A's in there. There are some D's and F's, and it averaged out there.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, um, Bracken. Well, as we're wrapping up our session here, I have two assignments you'd like to, uh, I'd like you to, or questions I'd like you to answer um, before we wrap this up. All right. And now, you know, it's been a mixed bag of positives and negatives with your running career, which is normal, or your running relationship, I'm sorry. But let's let's end on um let's end on on the positive side and I want you to give me give running three compliments your relationship with running give it three genuine compliments the way you feel about it um if you can
1: running you give me purpose whether I'm traveling in winter summer there there there's always you give me a purpose for how to to take the next step in what I'm going to do. If I if we travel someplace, I look up a trail and I go there. If it's cold out, I find a I, I need to find a cold wooded like forest to go escape the the, the breeze in. I just, you give purpose to my life, and I appreciate that. Mm. Running says thank you, and you're welcome. <laughs> Running, you've been too kind to me. You've given me more than I've given you, and and I value that. You don't care every time I turn away. You reward me every time I come back.
0: Well said. What about the third one? You have a third one?
1: Running has changed. Running, you've changed my life for the better. If I look back to what I did without running in my life versus now, it is night and day. The, the, The trajectory of my life has been directly influenced by you. And I would not be doing anything I'm doing today without you.
0: Well, I think that running says back through thick and thin that it will always be there for you, waiting like a dog at your door, coming home from work with a smile on its face and a waggy tail every single time because that's what running is and that's what running does for you. Now, the last question would be, let's make three commitments to running before our next session in that block of 10, you're going to purchase here. All right. So we've committed to it. You have, I've just committed you. Is this one of 10 or is this, this is the free one additional. actually. This is the, this is the trial. And now I, you understand my worth and you've committed financially to this process because you realize how good I am at this. So your your what are your, I want you to give running three commitments moving forward before our first paid session.
1: I commit to spending time with you every day. Even if it's only a few minutes before we go to bed or off to work in the morning.
0: Okay. I accept that commitment.
1: I commit to not undervaluing my own effort. I commit to not attempting to be the least trained at the top of a podium. I commit to to finding out what I can do rather than selling us short intentionally.
0: Running likes that. And I commit
1: to those small pieces that I always leave by the wayside because I think they're unimportant, but we both know deep down give us the opportunity to actually have a relationship.
0: Do you have some core? Okay, I was going to ask for core work,
1: strength work, mobility work daily. It has to be done. My body keeps giving out on me whenever it's not done. So time effort, and the little things?
0: Well, running says in response to that, that running acknowledges that there are five love languages. Okay? Uh, And running responds most positively to the love language of acts of service. And if you provide running with acts of service, running will feel equally or more as loved with that approach. So it sounds like your commitments to running fall in the acts of service realm, Bracken. I believe so.
1: And I think in a way they're acts of service to myself.
0: That's what we're getting at here, Bracken. Look at that.
1: Full circle. That, that was less funny and more deep than I imagined we were going to go. <laughs> well, but it's funny
0: underneath it all. Yeah. Oh, well, I feel well, I was, I was I was following your lead. As far as seriousness went,
1: I I didn't expect. I thought we were gonna be jovial there. That suddenly I'm welling up and yeah, that's good.
0: All right, look at this. Look at us. So okay, well look at us. We're we're breaking through barriers here, Bracken. I think if anybody thinks they don't need counseling or therapy, they're wrong. It can always improve. It doesn't even mean anything is broken. It only means can mean that something could use enhancing, right? I've been kicking these things around in my
1: head, and there's some power to saying it out loud. Yeah, there sure is, isn't there? For our listeners, what do you charge for therapy sessions? Me? Well, yeah.
0: the first one is free, um, and then afterwards, it's $220 an hour. You've got to buy a 10 pack, so your commitment is $2,200. <laughs> and I don't take insurance because I'm not licensed by the state. <laughs> That's important. So we've got to do this under the table if we can.
1: Now, is this what a consult with you looks like? Cause I've never done a consult with you. I do consults semi-regularly,
0: but they don't all look like that. You know, when I have a consult with an athlete, if they don't cry, I consider it a bad session, a bad intake. So do you push there? Oh yeah. You're
1: looking at your watch, like I only have seven minutes left and so we got to get to the waterworks.
0: Yep. Usually yeah. it starts with your, you, you don't feel like you're good enough, do you? <laughs> and then it spawns from there, but Yeah, Yeah. so we uh, our initial plan was to do therapy both ways, but I don't think we're gonna do your relationship. We're gonna do it a disservice if we jump into my relationship. It wouldn't it wouldn't give it the, you know, the homage it needs. That's not the right word, but you understand what I'm saying here. I think I'm too emotionally
1: compromised right now (laughs) to, to flip around and be like a voice of reason for you. I think I'm still too deep within my feelings.
0: Yeah, it's...
1: I need to run out and go <laughs> apologize to my lover. And...
0: You need to go spend time together.
1: Yeah, I got to start making things right. Uh huh. How does that start, Kirk? How do you start making things right with your running relationship? Because I one thing comes to mind for me. What is the very first thing you have to do?
0: Well, you have to acknowledge your faults, which you did. Yeah, but the first tangible action would be to go. To go do the, th- to, to start with the baby steps, to go put the ball in motion, to go do something you just committed to, even if it's a very small thing, pull up a dumb runner yoga for runners video on YouTube and do mm-hmm. it. I don't know. That's what I would say. What do you think? Yep.
1: Go do the thing I want to do the least immediately and then revamp the training schedule.
0: Is there one thing that jumps out to you that you want to do the least immediately? Like it's always load. core.
1: Core ties me. I'm so core dependent and I'm so core underdeveloped both time and muscularly. And it just has to be done.
0: I still feel like that falls on my shoulders a little bit.
1: Listen, I reached out. I threw a lifeline and I have since <laughs> went under the waves.
0: <laughs> Maybe I didn't realize it was a, a lifeline. I didn't understand the you know, tumultuous relationship there.
1: I I didn't put any sort of emphasis on the request to you. However, so everyone's listening. Everyone who listens knows this about me. I do not ask for help. And so if I ever Mm. do, it's legitimate. I didn't know that about you. How many times have I asked you for anything? Like help with something? Like true,
0: hey, can you just do this for me? I can't handle this. In, In what I felt like was in very informal passing... Um a by the way was the core work we yep. asking for a core work, but it felt like a by the way at the time. Now I feel bad well it, you shouldn't and then uh hook up with a Nordic track incline trainer discount yep that's the two yep. things I can think of
1: and where was I in both those places which you didn't know mm The first one was when we were trying to get our business off the ground and we had no available funds anywhere. And I just Mm -hmm. needed a new treadmill and I needed a discount. And the second was I was going through some lower back things, much like I am right now, and I just needed some core work. Mm -hmm. But because I never ask for things, I don't ask for things with emphasis because I don't know how to, Kirk. Mm-hmm. Wow, we're right back into counseling. <laughs>
0: that, that's a tough. Oh. Thing. No, it's a tough thing to do to ask for for something. You you have to acknowledge your value or your worth and know that people are willing to invest in you. Apparently, I missed that memo in one one of those questions. But now now I know it was very subtle. Oh, well, now now I, now I know subtlety isn't so subtle with you. I think we should end this thing um, two ways. One, we were going to talk about shoes, I think, or something, which is always a good way to end. I forget what it was you had brought up before we started recording. But the other thing, what was that? Go ahead. No, no, no. Tell me. Tell me the other thing. Well, the other thing is in line with what we're doing, what we've been doing with this counseling situation. Um, and that is, on the theme of what we've been talking about today, Like, what is, what is something that the listener needs to hear today? In regards to their relationship with running.
1: I think my main takeaway from me, which is what I want everyone to hear, is that sport is always the microcosm of life. It's always life distilled down to its most fundamental principles. And you get to practice it over and over and over and over on a short time frame. And so the theme of mine is the things that I know but don't address.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's the same thing in my running. The things that I'm aware of. I have the knowledge there, but I don't address it. And, and, and looking what I want everyone to do is look at your relationship with running and find what does that say about you and then kind of overlay that over your life. What is this the commonality there? That same same parallel drawn between running and your life because it's the same thing. It's the same step steps to remedying it. but the lack of intentionality in running is generally a sign of lack and lack of intentionality in life. A lack of commitment is commitment. A lack of focus is a lack of focus. A uh, a tendency to overwork is to overwork. Like these themes are true everywhere, but sometimes they're easier to see and acknowledge in
0: running, and then you can address them in your life. And I quote the acted for Bill Bowerman in the Without Limits movie, and he says, and if you can find meaning in the kind of running it takes... To be on this team then you can find meaning in another observed pastime life and if you can find meaning in your running purpose in your running you can probably find meaning and purpose in your life and that also works in many directions if you can find meaning and purpose in aspects of your life you might also find meaning and purpose in your running but first you got to be self-aware and first you have to acknowledge it Right? it's 100%. Billy B. had it right from the beginning. He knew. Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror. Go listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> then, watch the, then watch sort of the middle part of Without Limits for Bowerman's speech. And then go have a hard conversation with yourself. Or me. Again, 220 bucks an hour. I'm only $100. <laughs> Damn I'll you. undercut it and I won't make you cry. They haven't heard your service yet. They don't know the product you're going to put out. Oh, they're about to. Next Saturday, taking me on the trails. <laughs> thinking, my
1: goodness, are you sure he's not licensed?
0: Oh, they might. They might. I'm gonna have a
1: cardigan on. I'm gonna have a pair of
0: glasses on. It's we're gonna do this correctly. If you're not hunched over in this little chair in the corner with these thick square frame glasses on, talking like this, I don't know how well I'm gonna respond to you. We might have to compromise on a few of those points. All right.
1: So shoes, you got a pair of shoes, Kirk, as we wrap up here. You got a pair of shoes in the mail directly before we started, and you didn't even get to, to go for a short jog. What do you have?
0: And a pair of, pair of pants. Um, I got the Mafate Speeds. I put them on. Um, haven't run in them yet, but the Hoka uh, Mafate Speeds. I'm looking for a replacement for my Evo Speed Goats. I know this is not it, um, but it is a spicy little number. Put it on my feet. It feels like the speed goat, the original speed goat, with less to it. So I think it's in between the Evo speed goat and the regular speed goat, which would be a really good shoe for me, so it's got a little more aggressive tread. and then, so that's a and it's bright and colorful and cheery, um, which I like. And then uh, I got a pair of craft uh, wind blocking winter running pants because this weather has been ridiculous and I'm my relationship with winter is over. I'm divorcing it. It's been ridiculous. If you're a morning worker outer, it's been negative 20 with the wind chill four out of five days the past two months. It's absolutely ridiculous. So I got a pair of most I've ever spent on a bottom half article of clothing to see if that can help because uh, the boys have not been enjoying the cold winter running and the quads when the wind blows against it. Do not enjoy the cold winter running. So I got those two things. We'll see how they pan out. Those purchases, yeah. What about you? Recent purchases?
1: No recent purchases. No, but I uh, did the opposite. I'm destroying some shoes currently. So yeah, let's a talk top about secret, it. top secret project that I'm going to talk about on a podcast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A guy that I work with, Rob Pettyjohn, is I've talked about him before. Just absolute animal in his 40s and constantly wins the overall age group at stadiums in High Rocks. In fact, I don't believe he's ever lost to High Rocks. Mm. He's just an animal. But he's prepping for Las Vegas, the World Championship. And at the World Championship for High Rocks, everyone does pro weight, even the age group athletes. Usually the age group, the open division, does lighter weight. Same duration, but lighter weight. If you want to go there, you have to do the big boy weight. And so Mm. it's significantly different. Anyway, he wants more traction on his Saucony Endorphin Pros. He loves the Endorphin Pro for the super super shoe capabilities, but it's also a pretty stable package, but he needs better grip. So I'm currently in the process of carving up the outsoles of his Endorphin Pros, carving up the outsoles of a different pair of shoes and creating an unholy amalgamum of shoe performance and
0: grip and then gluing the new sole and tread onto the Endorphin Pro. Yes. So you keep the rocker plate, the carbon plate in there with better contact grip is the idea.
1: Correct. Now I'm actually currently only removing a few strips of the outsole and replacing it with some targeted grip areas. And if that doesn't work then I will take out take off the entire
0: rubber tread and replace it in mass. I feel a little silly. I I have never gone to that length for an athlete. Uh, This is my first time. Wow. I feel like Dr. Frankenstein. See, that's the 40% you're putting into your career right there. I understand why 40% went into that bucket for your career with this kind of commitment. (laughs) That's impressive. It's fun for me,
1: and it better work. Now, he gave me his old pair of pros. He's got a new pair, so if this doesn't work, he still has a pair to go to. But if this works, ooh, he's going to have a pair of Rockets with Grip. Can you document this? Can you? Yeah, I took a little video today. Okay. I was peeling, a carving the sole off a pair of Nike Waffle XCs. Is that what you're putting on there? That's what I'm
0: starting with. I'm going to test it out. People play doctor and surgeon with their shoes, especially like, Um, I feel like the the more... I don't know. The higher your performance, typically, the more doctoring seems to happen amongst shoes, I feel like. And there's a whole niche of like hybrid shoes that people play with that is out there, and it's it's more common than you think.
1: Nike's notorious for it. Their top pro athletes get to pick their upper, their midsole, yeah. and their outsole, and they create them a one-off shoe. And so, yeah. listen, if it's good enough for Nike, it's good enough for me. I like Outside it. of like performance-enhancing drugs and sweatshops and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of those are any good. I think we put a bow tie on this. Well, I'm going to go eat some chocolate, get
1: out a box of Kleenex, <laughs> and have an evening with running.
0: Mm. I'm very excited for you, and again, I look forward to working with you in the future. Um, I accept Venmo, PayPal, uh, cash, or check. So, I
1: have a few extra underwear I don't like that
0: I might just send your way. Those I do accept. The sport trunks, though. I don't want the briefs. I have the briefs, and they just ride weird. I'm not interested. I'm sorry. It's going to have to be real money. Well, I'll send him anyway. See what happens. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Kirk, I want to thank you for that. That was well worth my money. Mm, free. Which, again, was was nothing. Mm-hmm. You're very welcome. It's a very good bang for your buck, I would say.
1: All right. Well, get out there and watch it track me, and I'm going to go to the,
0: the Crackerbacker, as Ayla calls it. Which is?
1: The Chiropractor.
0: Mm, I like that. I like that name. Ayla. Crackerbacker. Clever girl. Alright guys, thanks for listening.
1: Oh, Ayla, happy birthday, girl. <gasps> it's her birthday today. She's turning seven.
0: Well what, what happy birthday, which it would be February seventeenth. Seventeenth. 101 fever, strep throat, birthday. It's a good day. Uh, poor kid. Get better. Happy birthday, Ayla. <laughs>